Well, good morning, church. It's good to be together today, and I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I want to say one more time, if it's it's your first time with us, uh, welcome. We are really glad you're here. And as we all gather uh, this time of year to to just celebrate the Christmas season, it's it's a time when the whole world uh, sort of turns its attention towards Christ. It's a great opportunity for us as well uh, to look at him and to think about how really over and over again through the story of God, through the story of Scripture, and, and truly through the story of your life, the movement of God has always been in this downward motion where over and over again it seems like God is, is coming down to meet us, God is coming down to be near us, God is coming down to be with us. And so throughout the series, uh, this idea that love came down, we, we've been thinking about how God does that over and over again. And, and we'll look at another one of those stories here in just a moment. But I, I don't know about you. For me, it's really hard to enter into uh, this season, to the Christmas season, without thinking of maybe one of the best stories, Christmas stories ever written. One of the, uh, maybe one of the world's most famous authors uh, wrote this book. You may know this book. You may know this little story called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, you guys reading this book at home with your children or watching the movie as it comes on TV? Uh, you probably know how this story goes. Uh, there's this character called the Grinch. Uh, who uh, lives up isolated on a mountain, and he's really, really angered and irritated because down in the village below in Whoville, uh, all the Whos are putting up their Christmas decorations, their Christmas trees, their Christmas wreaths, and the Grinch just can't stand it. And here's what what Dr. Seuss says about the Grinch uh, as the story begins. He says, Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's. Don't you love that story? Maybe not that part of the story, but the, the, the story sets up this character called the Grinch, who's living isolated and all alone, who's grown bitter and, and, and just downright mean. And you wonder why. Like, what happened? You know, what happened to the Grinch? I, I really don't know. Uh, if I had to guess somewhere earlier in his life, he got hurt. And because he got hurt, he lost hope and You know, we all know what happens to unattended hurt, right? Whenever you get hurt and that hurt goes unattended, what always happens is you begin to lose hope. And when you begin to lose hope because of some past hurt, like the Grinch, sometimes we too become isolated. We too grow bitter. And sometimes we just get downright mean, right? And when that change happens on the inside, when whatever hurt that happened that goes unattended, whenever it, whenever it seems to just fester and grow, then it becomes revealed on the outside. It's really hard to hide, to hide that from other people, right? When you've been hurt and hurt deeply on the inside, and when you begin to lose hope, it becomes revealed on the outside. Everyone begins to see it and they know it because you, can't, you just can't hide it. I love what John Mark Homer says in his book uh, called My Name is Hope. He has this little quote where his father said it, but... He said, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket, right? So whatever is down inside of you is what's going to come up from you. And that's so true. And I think so many times if you just reflect on your life, you've seen where that's happened. You've seen where that's, that's come true in your own life, that 
yeah, sometimes, like the Grinch, we've been hurt, and that hurt goes unattended. And because we've been hurt, we've lost hope. And when that happens, we, get, we tend to isolate ourselves, we tend to grow bitter, and we tend to get really mean. So I want to ask you, what, what's happened in your life to cause your heart to shrink? Because I don't think the Grinch is alone in this. What's happened in your life to cause your heart to shrink? What's happened in your life that's caused you to lose hope? And maybe the harder question is, what do you do if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus? What do you do when, when, when on the one hand you're all in with God, but on the other hand you've been hurt and you've lost hope? That's what happens to a couple of ladies that we're going to look at today, their story. Uh, We've been looking all along through how God comes down over and over again throughout the story of God. His movement is always downwards. And sometimes, like last week, we looked at the story of Sarah and how she gave birth to a son named Isaac and how God, like, literally, physically came down in a very tangible way where God did a a, a miraculous thing and something incredible happened. And, And we need those kind of God stories because God still does that. We need to believe in the God who can do that and who can do anything. But Sometimes God just comes down in ordinary, everyday ways. And sometimes, even when it feels like God is far away, the truth is he's always working in our lives. And that's the story of of Ruth. If you have your Bibles, if you can open that up to the Old Testament there. There's the ancient story of of Ruth and and her mother-in-law, Naomi, who are two very ordinary people who have encountered some pretty incredible tragedy in their life. And in fact, when when you open up the story of Ruth... Uh, the very first few verses there sort of set up the tragedy that's happened in their lives. So in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, we read this. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe, va- a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. And their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they had reached Moab, they settled there. And then Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. And this left Naomi alone with her two, without her two sons or her husband. From the very beginning of the story, you get the sense that there is hurt, there is tragedy, and there's a real sense of hopelessness. You've got Naomi and Elimelech who decide to move away from Bethlehem, their hometown, to go to a foreign land to find food because of a famine. That would be tough enough if that was just all there was to the story, right? Having to leave your friends and family to go to a foreign place to find food to provide for your family. But Elimelech does that and Naomi goes with him and they move the two boys and they they find food. They find a way to provide for their family. But shortly after, the unthinkable happens. Naomi, who is now a foreigner in this land, has lost her husband. And she's there all alone with just her two boys. But thankfully she has her two boys. And so even though life has been been hard it's not been impossible and she has these these two young boys who now are there to take care of her and provide for her which is really important they grow up and they get married and so although life has been difficult it's not been impossible and there's still hope in the story 
And in fact, these two boys, they find a couple of girls and they get married and life is good. Life is going, for the most part, the way it's supposed to go. Until something else tragic and unthinkable happens, right? I mean, this is not really how the story is supposed to go because now both of her sons die. And she's lost everything, in a sense. And now, now Naomi is there with, with Orpah, with Ruth, her two daughters-in-law. Uh, they were there for her and grieved with her when the Limelech died. And then when, when her sons died, you know, they held each other, you know. Naomi is holding, holding them and, and, and she's, they're both holding her and, and tears are shed. And, and, and they realize now we're all living here together and we literally, we're in a tight spot. It was a different day, it was a different culture, it was a different time. And for these women to be living all alone without a man there to provide, to provide food, provide shelter, provide protection... They were really in a tight spot. And it's at this point that Naomi thinks, okay, I've got to come up with a plan because we can't, we can't do this. And she's heard through the grapevine that the famine back in her hometown of Bethlehem is past. So maybe it's best just to go back there where she's got friends and people that will watch after her and take care of her. And so she gets Orpah and Ruth and decide, decides this is the best thing. Let's go back. But along the way she realizes, I can't do this. Orpah and Ruth, you're not from Bethlehem. They're from Moab. They're Moabites. So she tells them, you know what? Y'all stay here. Go back to your father's house. Go there and you'll, you'll have all that you need. You'll have the protection. You'll have the provision that you need. Go back and Orpah decides, yeah, that's probably the right thing to do. But Ruth, Ruth has other ideas. In fact, you, you may remember some of these things that Ruth said. Some of the most famous words ever spoken. They may have even been read at your wedding. In Ruth 1.16, Ruth says this. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Talking to Naomi. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more, so the two of them continued on their journey. So now Naomi's headed back to Bethlehem with Ruth. And when they get there, all of Naomi's old friends are so happy to see her, but at the same time, they're also devastated to hear of the tragedy of the loss of her husband and her two sons. And just in case you're wondering how Naomi's faith in God is at this point, just in case you're thinking that she's some sort of spiritual giant, and she never struggled in her faith. You need to keep reading because the next verses kind of reveal where, Naomi said, where's no, where Naomi's mind is. In verse 20, Naomi says this to her friends. She says, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. What's happened to Naomi? Her heart's turned two sizes too small, hadn't it? She's been hurt, real hurt. She's lost hope, real hope. And she's come back home to Bethlehem. But she hasn't come back home the same. God feels distant. Seems like he's pretty far away. In fact, 
If you look at Naomi's words, you might even say she blames God for what's happened to her and where she is. But now they're living in Bethlehem. Naomi and Ruth, they had carried all the provisions they could, but those are beginning to run out. Her friends and neighbors have taken care of them and stepped in, but they've got to get a plan to survive, a plan to live. So Ruth kind of steps up to the plate here because there is sort of a local welfare system in place back in Bethlehem in that day and time. And the way it works is you just go out to a grain field and anyone who is poor or who is hungry is allowed to go and follow the harvesters through the fields and anything that's left over or left behind they can pick up. And that's kind of how they took care of those who were poor and needy and hungry. So Ruth decides to go out and do this, go to a field where she can gather some grain, get some leftovers. Granted, it's not maybe the best plan, but maybe they won't starve to death at least. So you keep reading in Ruth 2 and verse 3 and you find this out. And you may want to underline these first three words because it says, As it happened. As it happened. Ruth found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, who was the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now, Boaz was a local farmer, businessman there in Bethlehem, wealthy, influential in the town. And Ruth, as it happened, ended up in his field to go gather some grain for her and Naomi, so maybe they wouldn't starve to death. But something happened in that field because Boaz noticed Ruth. Like Ruth caught his eye. And I don't know why. Maybe, maybe it's because she looked different. I mean, she was a Moabite. She wasn't from around there. She was new in town. I don't know what it was, but somehow Ruth caught Boaz's eye and he, he's thinking, who, who is that? Who, who is that girl? And he begins to real quickly sort of do some quick research and, and figure out who in the world she is. And, 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 and the whole time he's thinking, yeah, I need to find out more about her. And I was wondering this week, you know, I, wonder, I wonder why Boaz took notice of Ruth. And I don't know if you remember this part of the story, but Boaz, you remember who his mom was? Some of you who know the whole story. Boaz, Boaz's mother was a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab lived in a town called Jericho. And, and I'm sure Boaz had been told this story like his entire life growing up because Rahab was living in a town called Jericho that had been encircled by an army of Israelites who were there to take the city. And they circled and prayed around that city for seven days. But Rahab had found uh, some spies who had come in, and she had been shown kindness by them, and she had been shown kindness by their God. And when the walls fell down on that last day, she and her family survived. And I'm sure every day growing up, Boaz heard that story over and over again. You see, his mom was also not from there. His mom was an outsider. And when Boaz saw this girl, who was also an outsider, coming to glean in his fields, I think maybe he had a weak spot. I think maybe he wanted to show kindness to her the way someone had once shown kindness to his mom. So he calls Ruth over to him, and in verse 8 he says this, Boaz went over to and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and and follow them. I've warned them, I've told them not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they've drawn from the well. Verse 10. 
Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yeah, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. So may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Boaz, in his kindness, sees Ruth, and he walks up to her and he says, I see you. I see you. And I got you. I know what you're going through. I see what's going on. I see you. And I got you. I got you. I know you felt hopeless, but there's hope. I know the pantry at home is empty, but now it's full. So you can imagine the conversation that night when Ruth shows up back at home. And she walks into Naomi, and Naomi's expecting maybe something small that she's been able to gather from the day, but instead she comes back with her arms full. And Naomi says, where in the world did you gather all this grain today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless whoever it was, the one who helped you. So Ruth Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she'd also worked. And she said, the man I worked with today is is named Boaz. Verse 20. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man, get this, that man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Boaz just happened to be one of their family redeemers or kinsmen redeemers. Now, back in in their day and time, the kinsman redeemer, the family redeemer, was a person who, by law, if something were to happen, if something tragic were to happen, this is the person in the family who was then responsible to step into the gap, to provide for, to care for, to redeem a person or land or a situation, whatever's gone wrong. The kinsman redeemer was that person, and it just so happens that Boaz, that Boaz is the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi. And it's at this point that Naomi gets a plan. It's at this point that Naomi begins to think, maybe there is hope. Like, I've felt hopeless up to this point, and let's be honest, the story has been incredibly rough, but maybe there's hope. I've been wondering this whole time, where is God? But maybe, maybe God's been working the whole time, I just couldn't see it. Have you ever experienced this? Uh, Naomi's thinking, we were completely hopeless, alone, destitute, really out of options, but then we decided to come home to Bethlehem. And Ruth decided to come with me. And then we experienced the kindness of our neighbors. And then Ruth decides to go out and find a field to to pick up some leftovers. But she ends up in the field of a man named Boaz, who also happens to be our family redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. Maybe, just maybe, God, who has felt so distant, has been near the whole time. Maybe, just maybe, the God who feels a million miles away has been at work in our story, in our life, through leading us and guiding us through faithful relationships to bring us to this place where now there is hope, where now we have a shot, where now things might work out. So Naomi tells Ruth, hey, go home. Put on your best dress, freshen up, go back to Boaz. 
Because he is our kinsman redeemer. And maybe, just maybe, he'll marry you. And maybe, just maybe, there's hope. Maybe, just maybe, there's hope. So where do you find hope? That's really the question of the story of Ruth. Is where do you find hope? Where do we find hope? What do you do when you're looking for hope and you don't know where it's going to come from? What do you do when you feel like God is a million miles away and you don't know if he's going to come through? What do you do when you're not sure if God's going to be able to work things out in your life because things aren't working out in your life, at least not the way you thought they were supposed to? I don't know if you saw, saw this story this past week on social media or on the news. There was a story that, that hit about a young man named Caleb Johnson. Caleb um, posted a video uh, online asking for uh, people to help him find the nurse who saved his life. So when Caleb was an infant, just in case you don't know the story, um, he was involved in a tragic car accident. He's, got, he's one of four kids. His parents didn't survive the car wreck. And he suffered a traumatic brain injury. Here's, here's a little bit about Caleb's story. He wrote this, or this was written on his blog. It said, Caleb had suffered severe head trauma, including multiple skull fractures. This trauma resulted in traumatic brain injury. Uh, the paramedics did what they could, but Caleb was barely hanging on when they arrived at the hospital. It was imperative that he receive medication through an IV. And at 13 months old, it was difficult enough to place an IV in his tiny veins. One nurse was given this task. Without this IV, Caleb had no chance of survival. She feared a, a pronunciation of death was in the future, but she pressed on with determination. It soon became clear that Caleb's veins were collapsed, which meant inserting the IV into, a small, into the small baby was not just difficult, but nearly impossible. She made multiple attempts, which all failed. She tried again in new spots with different techniques, everything she could think of. She kept trying beyond a reasonable number of attempts. Still, she could not insert the medication. She knew it was time to give up. But this dedicated nurse looked up to the ceiling. She cried. And she prayed. She promised that she would try one last time to save this boy's life. It was now or never. So the nurse made a cut in Caleb's ankle and miraculously inserted the medication directly into the bone marrow. Caleb's injuries were extensive, and it took many other talented medical professionals to ensure his survival. But without this one nurse, he wouldn't have even had a chance. Caleb's situation seemed hopeless. But the ambulance got there just in time. The hospital up in McKinney was close enough, and there was this one nurse who was able to get the medication there just in time to save his life. And I love this story because Caleb, although he's got, he still suffers from a traumatic brain injury, even though he's got reason because he was hurt and because he could have lost hope, he's got reason to be bitter and to be angry at the world, to be hurt and to, to really just kind of live out that story, has chosen a different way, a different story. And if you learn more about his story, you'll see how he's trying to bring hope and encouragement to people around him and he's found a different way to live. And for him, he would say it all goes back to this one nurse. And, and it was really cool this past week. They found out through the help of lots of people on social media that this nurse who helped him that day actually, um, actually passed away a few years ago. But he was able to Skype with some of the nursing staff at, the, at that hospital in McKinney this week and, and hear stories about that day and what, what transpired 
that night and how his life was saved. To hear the story of the nurse who saved him, or you might even say, redeemed his life. Where do you find hope? Where do you find hope? Where do we find hope? You see, our Redeemer isn't a farmer in Bethlehem that lived several thousand years ago. Our Redeemer isn't a nurse in McKinney, but we do have a Redeemer. We have someone that stepped into the gap in our lives. We have someone who came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the good news for you and I is that we have, we have a Redeemer who doesn't just offer us physical life. He offers us eternal life. We have a Redeemer, and this is the good news, because when you come to the end of yourself and you have nothing left, when you've done all you can do and you have nowhere else to turn, you see, if you don't believe in God and you've done all that you can do and you're at the end of yourself and you've given all that you have, then that's it, you're done. You're tapped out. But if you do believe in God and you do follow Jesus, then even when you come to the end of yourself, even when you've given all that you have to give, even when there's nothing left for you to give, there is another. There is a Redeemer. And for those who hope in God, there is hope. There is hope for the hopeless who hope in God because we have a God who is a God of infinite hope. We have a God, and this is, this is so true, He often works in extraordinarily ordinary ways. Sometimes he comes through in the power of a miracle. Sometimes he does something that's totally unexplainable. But other times he works in our life like he worked in the life of Ruth through ordinary people in ordinary ways, through faithful relationships, through people who will come and who will help us. And we look back, we wake up one day and like Ruth did, I'm sure, looks back on the story of her life and realizes, man, God was there the whole time. I just couldn't see it at the time. And that's the same kind of God that we have. It's the same God that we serve. And today I just want to invite you to trust. To trust that whatever's going on in your story, to trust that whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your family, whatever's going on with your kids, whatever's going on in your work, whatever's going on in your world, trust. You can believe this. You can take it to the bank. That God is always working for your good and for his ultimate glory. Because God sees you in whatever field you're in. He sees you. And he knows you. And he's got you. And you've got nothing to fear. Because we have hope. Because we have a Redeemer. We have a Redeemer. And he stands in the gap for us. And he gives hope to us. And whatever we're going through, whatever crisis we're facing, or tragedy that's around the next corner, no matter what's going on, he wants to pull you in close and tell you, I see you. I know you, and I got you. Church, if you would, let's stand. So there is more to the story. Boaz marries Ruth, redeems her and her family. Her and Naomi never have to want for anything again. But they have a son, and their son is named Obed. Probably not the most popular baby name today, but Obed is born, and Obed becomes the father of another son named Jesse. And Jesse becomes the father of a son named David, who you might know better by the name King David. And through the line of King David, another son is born 
hundreds of years later, in that same little town of Bethlehem. And his name is Jesus. Over a thousand years before Jesus came, hope was born in Bethlehem. A redeemer was born. And you and I claim that our redeemer came from Bethlehem. And our redeemer sees us, and our redeemer knows us, and our redeemer's got us. And this is the story. And so whatever is going on in your world, whatever has happened in your life that's caused your heart to grow two sizes too small, I want to invite you to step into the story of the Redeemer. The Grinch had a Redeemer. Her name was Cindy Lou Who. She was cute. We have a Redeemer who's so much greater. And here's the cool thing about the story. The really cool thing about the story is that through Ruth, the son was given. And through that son, one day, Jesus would come into the world. And through your life, whatever's going on in your world, God wants to bring Jesus to the world through you, too. So this morning, I want to invite our shepherds and their wives to make themselves kind of available around the edges of the room. And if you're going through a season of life right now where you just need hope, maybe you feel hopeless, maybe you've been hurt, maybe you feel like your heart has grown two sizes too small, and you don't even know how to pray or what to pray. I, I would just invite you to go to these, these shepherds and their wives and, and allow them to pray for you, pray over you. And ask God to give you hope again. To ask Jesus to redeem you. Because he is your redeemer. And he loves you. He sees you. And he's got you. Let's sing.